dependence must be upon the light of Christ within. The surest dependence must be upon the light of Christ within. This is our 10th session of our Greek Bible study, and we are reading the Gospel according to Mark. Uh, David, this is a pretty informal kind of uh, Bible study. I kind of tend to read a few verses and then make a comment or ask people to make comments, ask questions, uh, go back. It's pretty loose, pretty informal. We left off in March after 6. I think we finished with the feeding of the 5,000, verse 44. Uh, any further comments on that? Questions? or um, In the King James, Henry, uh -huh. uh, there are several different versions of the feeding miracles. Yeah. And the numbers of people and everything uh, change. Does that mean there was more than, this happened more than once? I, I thought I brought that up last week. In two of the Gospels, we have two miracles of the loaves. Yes. And, and one we have, uh, in two others, we only have one. It's not clear if there was only one or whether there were two. I'm stating what some scholars say, that perhaps there were different traditions coming down regarding a single miracle. Or, as I pointed out last time, if you look at the numbers, those numbers were significant as to 12 loaves or, or the number seven and, and five nations. And there may have been some other reason for explaining it as two different miracles. Okay, well, it's, it's just helpful to have that reviewed. Okay, great. Any other comments from last week? Or Okay, let's, let's go on. And this is chapter 6, starting with verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And again, here is another instance that appears to indicate silent worship by Jesus, you know, where he just goes off to pray silently. And this occurs actually throughout the Gospels, not just here in Mark. And again, that word immediately occurs over and over again in this Gospel. It's one of John Mark's favorite words. Usually tr gets translated as immediately, or sometimes it just seems to be a little way of emphasizing something, but that's the word. Okay, let me go on. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Again, as I had mentioned, the word sea in Greek, alasa, also refers to a lake, and that goes back to the Hebrew word, I gather, that can mean both sea and lake. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was an apparition and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately... He spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Henry, mine says their minds were closed instead of their hearts were hardened. What verse? Oh, the last verse. Okay. Yeah. Let me just quickly look at the Greek. Uh, Peperomene. It says, yeah, their heart, it uses a singular here, their heart had been hardened. I was wondering about this verse myself. It doesn't seem to fall logically right after the previous verse. They were astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. I don't know if anyone else any, has any other thoughts regarding this verse? I thought it just meant that if they had understood he was the Christ and could work miracles, then they would have known, they would have seen that from the loaves and this is another miracle. So why should they be surprised by a second miracle? Yeah, that, I had that thought in the back of my head too. You know, just this instance of levitation right upon this multiplication of the loaves. I'm just thinking it might have been too much for them at the same time. <laughs> You know, because it, it happened immediately after. Henry? Mm -hmm, yes? Two verses ahead, when it says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And I'm thinking how many times we have given, we have been given that advice, really words of comfort and reassurance. I think of, of the message that the angels gave to the shepherds, who also were terrified. And I suppose... We could make a, a list of all the times that we're told not to be afraid, especially if it's unusual or seemingly supernatural or out of our experience kind of instances. So I love coming to that word of reassurance. Well, it's interesting that this verb here that gets translated as take heart or uh, have courage, it also has this meaning of in Greek as this. Of all things, be cheerful. It's really a positive kind of thing that Jesus is saying to him, as I think uh, you're stating, David. You know, be cheerful. Take heart. Be comfortable with what you're seeing. <laughs> and don't be afraid. It's also interesting that he intended to pass them, but it didn't succeed in walking past them without them noticing him. So, okay. which is, would seem like a physically possible thing to do. He can do the, the physically impossible, but not always the physically possible, being human and divine. You're reminding me, I was going to look up that verb because I was wondering if it just meant to be alongside. What verse was that in? 48. Yeah, okay. Because I'm wondering if it, if it also means just walk alongside, which I think mm -hmm. it may mean. Pass, pass by... No, okay, yeah, it basically does have that sense of pass, you know, pass by. But I wonder if that was their impression, the disciple. Oh. Mm. I guess I just feel like he knows whatever he's going to do. It's not a mistake. The Lord knew a lot of those things beforehand, and he knew what he was doing, but disciples didn't necessarily know or understand, comprehend. Mm-hmm. Henry, yes. excuse me, it's Sarah. I have, I guess, a problem with verse 52, where it states that they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. 
But I thought, being who he was, wouldn't he have opened up their understanding instead of getting cross with them? I know we talked about this when we were talking about the sower and the seed, where they didn't understand parable, the comparison he was making with regard to the, the Word of God. He then explained it to them. And we, uh, we had talked about that at that session, how depending on the gospel you read, Jesus explained it in Mark as being the word, that is the logos, mm-hmm. which doesn't usually mean word, but has the sense of anything that is verbally expressed. So the utterance, the word, the expression, any verbal kind of thing that is spoken, it also has other meanings as well. So he goes on and explains it there. I can't think of another instance or two, but it also occurs elsewhere where he does go on to explain something. So why this says what it says, I I don't know. Well, there were a lot of things they didn't understand at the time, but afterwards when they recalled them, then they understood. Yeah, their eyes were open in a sense. And then they understood. I think as we mature, we're the same way. There are things that we see and hear that we don't understand at the time, but later we do. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit gave them that understanding later. Actually, what Nancy just said is expressed that way in the Gospel according to John. You know, where later they understood things that that were not clear to them before. Okay, shall we go on? When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Do you remember in chapter 15 with the woman who had been suffering with hemorrhages for 12 years, Mm -hmm. uh, she was healed by just touching the hem, the fringe? Right. His cloak. And what did Jesus say to to her? He said that, well, depending on how you translate it, your faith has made you whole or or your faith has saved you or your trust has healed you. And he also said, who touched me, didn't he? Or because he felt something going out of him. He was aware. Yes, he knew something happened. Yeah, that's, here's the sentence. This this is the word for, that usually gets translated as believe or faith. Hey is the, the faith, sue of you, your faith. Sesosen, that's a verb, has either healed you or saved, rescued. And then se is you. So your faith has saved you. Your trust, your confidence in in being healed by me has healed you. It's a very interesting expression there. And as I said, those two meanings I'm giving are really in those same words. And you'll see them translated differently just because of that. I think What's being expressed there is just the need for a very powerful faith, a very powerful confidence in God. And the verb here, to that's the verb that means to believe or trust, have trust. Henry? Yes. I find the word trust much more powerful because belief 
sounds can sound very creedal. Uh, right. It's a more of an intellectual construct, whereas right. trust is a, a state of being. It's existential. Yeah. I make that same point, actually, David. I mean, that is the basic word. The meaning of the word is to is to have trust, to put trust in something. And when you say believe, you're shifting the basic focus of the word. And of course, this is a verb. And of course, as I said in a previous session, the noun is this, pistis. And that's the noun for either faith or belief. But again, in so many other contexts, it's probably more powerful to express it as meaning trust or confidence. You can believe something that's told you by someone that you don't like or admire or have any positive opinion about, but to trust someone, you have to think well of them, it seems. Anything else here? I just had one question. Are there other words that in Greek that mean faith? Nothing comes to mind at the moment. Mm -hmm. No. So if they're trying to communicate that concept, then, then it would be most likely the same word. I can't give you a number, but I would say in looking at these two words when they're used in the New Testament, probably the great majority of time, it's better to translate it as trust or have trust in or put trust in. I've mentioned this before, I think in this group, you've probably seen the expression, believe in the name of Jesus. And again, it's <laughs> that verb. But if we translate these Greek words a little bit differently, we could say, put your confidence in. And then the word name, name so often does not mean the name of something you know, just the title of what something is called, but it refers to the basic nature of something, the basic character, the personality. So put your confidence in the basic nature of Jesus, what you're aware of as who Jesus is. So believing in the name of Jesus, if I said to that to some non-Christian, I'm not sure they have a clue of what I'm saying. Right, that helped me, that explanation. Thank you. So again, there, believe, you know, put your confidence, put your trust in the nature, the, the real basic nature of Jesus. There are other words for nature, but this word name uh, in this context does have that kind of sense. All the basic stuff about Jesus. I like when, when they use the word essence for, for that too. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Put your trust in the basic essence of Jesus who he was, what we know of him, and our belief, our trust, that what we know of him is true. And, you know, what has been handed down, what has been taught to us by other Christians or, and in the New Testament. Okay? Thanks. All right, let's go on. Chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not, do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. That's an interesting comment. And what does that comment say about the audience? 
that this gospel was written for. What it that says they, is that, that they were not Jewish. They were not Jewish. They were probably right. Greek. Greeks who had become Christians. And to make it easier for them, it's kind of a parenthetical comment by Mark to let them know the tradition of Jews that they would not perhaps know anything about. I had made I a comment just like this yesterday in a, a Bible study on the gospel according to John, a very similar kind of parenthetical remark for those who these gospels were written for were maybe not aware of the ordinary Jewish rites and rituals so that it was just added in to kind of explain how things work. That still continues today in the Roman Catholic Church when they do communion, they wash their hands and clean the, the, the goblet and the vessels. So they go through that same ritual. Ah, uh, yes, right. I, I wonder why they didn't, the disciples didn't wash their hands though, because I would have thought it would have been a, not just a habit, but something that they would automatically do. Were they not doing it intentionally to make a point or? That's an interesting question because if you're aware of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were good guys at that time because what they were trying to do was to bring back your ordinary Jew to all the observances in the law of Moses, you know, the Torah. If you find the expression sinners, public sinners in mentioned in the gospel, that often refers to those Jews who weren't following all these laws. And one of the foci, one of the, the focuses of the Pharisees was to bring people back to observing all these laws, all the rites and rituals. And you have to remember the apostle Paul was a Pharisee. So he very much, when he was a Pharisee, was into that sort of thing. But then if you read his epistles, he no longer believed that sort of thing. It didn't get you anywhere in terms of being more righteous, upright in God's eyes. Uh, I, I have some old friends from, oh, some 45 years ago, Jewish friends I, I went to school with. And about uh, four years ago, when I was back east, I was minding their house while they were on a visit to visit their son in Israel. And I promised to keep all the dishes and pots and pans and foods separate according to the kosher laws. And what I did was I, because I was minding the house, I uh, put post-its on the different drawers as to these dishes go here because they're for dairy things. These other dishes are for meat or something. They go in a different place. And they weren't so strict so that it was okay to put everything together in the dishwasher. <laughs> Whereas other stricter Jews might use different dishwashers. And just commenting that as, you know, the fact that these things still occurring today. Okay, let's continue in uh, verse 5. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. I think this is a very powerful statement here and one that Quakers have traditionally understood. 
focused on between the outward and the inward. You know, that you can be sounding like a Christian, you know, have verses memorized and can sound like a minister or whatever with your lips, but your heart, your, your consciousness, where your mind is, where your conscience is, may be very far from that kind of thing that is wanted, is desired by God. And I think that's why Jesus is referring to Isaiah and calling these scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, that it's not the outward, it's the inward that really matters. And that change is, is necessary within. I should say something about this word heart. Let's see, that verse is verse 6. The Greek word for heart is cardia. You know the English word cardiac? Mm -hmm. Now that's the same root there. So often, this word has the sense of heart, but quite frequently, it also can refer to one's conscience and consciousness. And so often, when I see the word, when I'm reading the New Testament in English and I come across the word heart, I'm thinking of these two words, conscience and consciousness. That when Jesus is saying we need a change in heart, you know, take away the stony heart, that sort of thing. He's saying we need a whole change in our conscience and what we think of as right and wrong, as well as in our consciousness, how we look at things, how we observe and perceive things, and how we act according to that perception. In many languages, this word conscience and consciousness, there's one word that has both the same meaning. I think if you know French, conscience means has the meaning of both. The Russian word saznania, same thing. It can mean both consciousness and conscience, I believe. I have to check on that. But in English, we separate the two. Although I should say, in George Fox's time, that's only, it was only at that time that the word conscience began to have a separate sense and that the word consciousness developed. So that when you're reading early friends' writings, you might only see the word conscience, but they mean consciousness as well, or as either or, or both. Again, I'm just saying when you see this word heart, think of the word conscience or consciousness or both. It really will give you, I think it will open up new understandings of what's being said. So what are the roots of, of the words conscience and consciousness? Uh, those are Latin words, and the root goes back to a verb, shio, which means no. And as a, the prefix is con, c-o-n. Uh, the word science, that's the same root. But there's the S-C-I there is the, the root. It means to know. So knowledge, a certain kind of knowledge that we have ourselves when we're looking out at the world, when we're experiencing the world and how we act towards the world, our conscience and consciousness. So the con is from Latin that means with, with knowing? Con means with or together. I guess together might be the sense here. Yeah, let me just quickly get my Latin, little Latin dictionary here and see if I can. I was, I was wondering if, if it could be inward awareness. Yes, that's what I'm trying to state nancy yes thanks ah being okay conscientia being in the know <laughs> consciousness 
conscience. Okay, here we go. So this Latin word, conscientia, means both conscience and consciousness so in you, Latin. So with conscience, we think of that as always having some sort of moral component, but with consciousness, it just seems as if it could just be in a, a regular awareness. Uh, what Nancy was saying, it, it also had the meaning here of joint knowledge, moral sense, Moral sense would be your conscience. Joint knowledge, I'm not sure what that refers to, but that's one of the meanings of this word in Latin. I'm trying to think of what the Greek word is. It, there is a word, I just can't think of it at the moment. I think it's synatasis. Let me, it might be good to find out. Let me just see if I can find that here. Yeah, here we go. Okay, the Greek word is synatasis. And it has the same meanings means both conscience and consciousness. So why would it also mean heart? I mean, are we supposed to know with our hearts? I suspect that might be something particular to uh, Hebrew. But the heart was, I think, historically considered to be where we uh, think of our mind and our brain. They thought more of the heart being the center of one's bodily existence or something like that. But I, I'd have to ask the philosophers about that. <laughs> Henry? Yes. Well, they are quoting from Isaiah. And right. it would be inter interesting to know what the Hebrew is for heart and whether there are other dimensions that uh -huh. would come forth. I don't know Hebrew. I'm assuming that when the word Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word for heart is used, that it means this similar thing. That's my assumption. Okay. Well, thank you. Although it's much more complicated now than it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although I'm, I'm kind of giving you something here about how I think when I'm just looking at the English translation and see the word heart, I immediately think of conscience and consciousness, and then see if that gives me a, a deeper meaning in reading the New Testament or Old Testament. Anything else we can pull out of this? Okay, let's go on. Then he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and Whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is korban, that is, an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. That's a pretty tough judgment. Yes. But I think, it, and this is what Jesus is saying, is hypocrisy. I, I don't know what further can be said about this, that just by calling it Corbin, you break their own law regarding how to honor father and mother. Okay, let's, let's go on. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. 
he said to them, then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile since it enters not the heart but the stomach and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. And then he quotes, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I've mentioned this word parable more than once, I believe, and the Greek is parabole. Com comparison. Comparison, yes. That's the basic meaning of the Greek word. Jesus was always speaking in comparisons for the crowds and then would go on further to explain things to his closer disciples and apostles. And as I mentioned, uh, the word disciple, the Greek word is mathetes, and the basic meaning of that word is student, pupil. The Latin word for student or pupil is discipulus, and that's where we got our English word disciple. In other languages, I know like Russian, they just translate the word mathetes into Russian, modern Russian, as uchinik, which means student or pupil, like in a grammar school. So it doesn't have this far away sense of a disciple. It's just an ordinary word. Jesus was the rabbi. Remember what rabbi means, teacher. Teacher, yes. So Jesus is the teacher and they are the students. And that's the same thing it should be for us. If we're listening to the light of Christ within us, we should be students of the Christ within. Henry, another observation, at least from the Latin, discipulus, we have a common derivative of discipline. And I wonder if that connotation is there in the Greek as well. Okay, the Greek, that's a Latin word. And that gives us discipline, which is a teaching we should be following, right? Just, I think, what is the Greek word <laughs> for discipline? It, I, I think it's a related root. Let me just see if I can quickly find that. Oh, if that's that, we see mathetes, that's the same root in mathematics, mathematical, because the basic root there, the M-A-T-H, just means to, to learn, learn by experience. What was I looking up here? Oh, uh, no, I don't see it at the moment. I'd have to look elsewhere for that. So again, our word discipline, you know, those are the teachings we follow, right? Our book of discipline. And discipulus is a disciple, disciplina. Okay, mathetes. The word for learn is manthano. So, and you know, this, I know you can't all go out and learn Greek, but in, in reading the New Testament in Greek, you, you feel these connections because of these words being so similar. In English, you look at the word disciple and learn and you know, mathematical or whatever, and you never see the connection there. They're there. And I hope in doing this kind of Greek Bible study, it might open up a deeper understanding of what's being said with these words. Mm -hmm.
Just dependence must be upon the light of Christ within. The surest dependence must be upon the light of Christ within. This has been a podcast of Ohio Yearly Meeting of the Religious Society of Friends. It was hosted by Henry Jason and edited by Chip Thomas. Our music was from Paulette Myers' CDs, which are Timeless Quaker Wisdom in Plainsong and Wellsprings of Life Quaker Wisdom in Chant. These CDs are available at paulettemeyer.com.